Rocket with Chief. Conversations take you places. My name is Daniel and I'm your host. And today I may just fan out because we've got Gigi Alcock in the house. It's not about the corporate. Gigi, I'm not going to go into your full CV. However, let's just say you've done a lot. You're an entrepreneur, an activist, an author of three books, an adventure traveler, 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 a strategy advisor, a speaker, problem solver. You pack the day. I don't know when you get to sleep. It's probably why you've got no hair. Before <laughs> we dive into your world and an intro, what's your perfect breakfast routine and what did you eat this morning in Kailong? <laughs> uh, my Perfect routine is uh, generally go. Take, I take my dogs for a run around Kailami. Oh, stunning. Um, I've got border collies that desperately want to be run as much as possible. And 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 then uh, my uh, primary breakfast is coffee. Oh, <laughs> Lots yeah. of coffee. And it doesn't stop until midnight. <laughs> we share that. We share that. So border collies, because that harkens back to your days as a cattle herder, or just because you love the black and whites? Uh, I I uh, I love my motorbikes, but I have a wife and kids who are into horses and dogs. So I, I, I'm the adopted parent. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Gigi, um, for our audience who don't know you, just give us a, a two-minute summary before I start asking some questions. Who are you and like, why are you here? Yeah, so um, long story short, I, I uh, grew up in a mud hut in a Zulu village in a very poor part of Zululand called Msinga. Uh, my parents were political activists and community workers and uh, built a mud hut and brought us up there. We washed in the river. My mother taught us at home. Uh, we grew up very much like the local Zulu kids, as poor as them, um, and uh, uh, literally... Um, hunted in the hills and uh, stick uh, did lots of stick fighting and herded goats and cattle and um, and yeah that's how we grew up and then from there I basically um, initially started as a political activist um, with the then UDF uh, and um, and kind of realized there was no glory in poverty so so I became a, I moved to to Johannesburg they call it Duma, which means uh, the place where the walls thunder and um and I moved to Joburg and and basically became a capitalist and uh entered the world of of primarily um marketing um into the township space so I've spent the last 20 odd years uh in various formats uh, started a business and sold a business that was became the the kind of primary business focusing on the mass market and then um, in the process wrote three books uh, third world child whiteborn Zulu bread about growing up um, in in a Zulu village and then uh, Gasinomics and Gasinomic revolution which were two business books which were in essence kind of really established the the concept of the informal market mm -hmm. as an economic uh, as, a, as a very dynamic economic sector um, and uh, today, I think a huge amount of people are focusing on that sector, which when when I started was uh, ignored and and considered to be to be small. So yeah, so that's my um, 
and 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 today I'm I'm kind of a consultant. I've also invested in a number of township uh, or businesses focusing on the townships or based within townships. And yeah, it's it actually gives me goosebumps the journey that you've you've uh, gone through, you and your brother and and your family. You say you were poor. You gloss over that quite easily. How did you break that cycle of poverty? I mean, what gives you that, that, that you've got brothers and friends that you left behind that are still in the same place? What gives it one the difference to end up in Kalami and the other one to stay in the rural area? Why does that happen? Yeah. Um, you know, well, you know, when I was when I was a, a, um, relatively young, I said to my father, "Will you send me to university?" And uh, he said, um, "I can't. I'll, I'll never afford to, to, but I'll bring you up prepared for life in Africa." And you know, so so in essence, um, you know, the skills that we learned or I learned and that my father brought us up with prepared. Um, both my brother and I for this life in Africa. Um, and um, my mother was a, was a journalist and, and, and invested a lot of time in, in teaching us at home. So we ended up mm. with a fairly basic, I mean, I, I, I have a matric and that's it. Um, and, um, but I think it was, a, a it, it was, you know, the, the, the understanding of this part of Africa um, then um and and the education obviously mm. my mother instilled in us a, a lot of reading um both my mother and father got us reading really early and so we're both voracious readers and continue to do that and i think that that gives you what maybe a tertiary education doesn't give you um in terms of knowledge of the world and stuff and curiosity and then, yeah and, and yeah. absolutely and then and then you know a fair amount of of uh, luck I mean uh, it was the only space that I kind of felt qualified to operate in and the first job I got in well the the first job I had in Johannesburg was a bricklayer no Um, ways yeah I was a bricklayer for a year um, uh, doing renovations in in Jeppe and in the south (laughs) and um, (laughs) uh, and and so that's my primary qualification actually and then um, uh, and then I, I, you know, I was spending a lot of time uh, in the kind of hostels and the townships, and that was around about 1990, 1991, and um, it was quite a, a, a rough time in the townships. Uh, and yeah, I was so in the townships much... at the same time, but I think for different reasons. Do you know? I was in the hostels <laughs> exactly. at that time as well. Jeez. Yeah. So exactly, and and I mean, I, so. Uh, and 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 um, yes, and I mean, you know, to kind of rewind, I was I was in the military in uh, in, in the infantry in 1985, 86, and um, I, I refused to do township duty. I, I loved the army, but I refused to do township duty. Ended up in various amounts of trouble, and eventually was was moved to military intelligence because I could speak Zulu and. And and uh, um, and then did nothing for a year basically, but uh, but um, uh, so, so I kind of knew the military side of things quite well, and and um, now I was on the opposite side of the of the kind of the spectrum, and 
And I was, I was living with a friend in Yeovil, and at the time, there was all of these international journalists had come to the country. And um, my second job was these journalists were like, um, I'd meet these journalists from the Washington Post or whatever it might be, and they needed to to get access to the townships to, you know, get sources and write stories. And they offered me um, a job as a kind of fixer, driver, whatever, a translator. They paid me like $250 a day, which for me was a fortune. Um, I think the Drinks dollar are on Gigi. A... <laughs> Drinks were on you. Gee whiz. Well, I was earning a thousand rand a month um, as a bricklayer. And then suddenly I was offered $250 a day, which was oh, about, which was about one and a half um, rand to a dollar yeah, back then. Yeah. I think. So, so it was like, call it, um, you know, uh, three, 400 rand a day. And um, suddenly, and, 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 and I could make up my, in a week, I could make my monthly salary. Yeah. Uh, and, and that kind of was, got me into, into where I ended up then within a business called Group Africa, which is one of the first businesses that did uh, promotions and activations in the townships. Um, and and even there, I started as a as a rep. I was given a Nissan 1400 Bucky and sent into the townships uh, to work with schools and, and so yeah. on. Um, yeah, so, you know, and, and then I eventually actually bought out a, a division of that company and 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 the rest is kind of history you know wow. so wow so wow. but yeah you know so when i say luck you know you you meet these people and along mm. the way you know mm. as, as i was there i was the bricklayer and next thing i was a translator and, and and when i realized with the journalists i was like suddenly hey this is there's a need for for the skills i have and those yeah. skills were in essence ability to communicate and the ability to access a world which other people saw as as foreign and 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 with barriers to entry and for me yeah. i kind of uh, i was like this chameleon i could move between a black and a white world or a zulu or an english world yeah. um with great ease um naturally and and that's where kind of you know and when i started my marketing business it was built on the same kind of thing that no. that corporates couldn't access this world and i could access it for them that's that is such a deep insight. What are your skills and who needs access to them? I think that's a thing that not enough people understand is that they've got value. We are beset by problems on all sides in South Africa. However, their opportunity abounds. What is your message to the youth who are coming into this market? And youth, I'm talking about men, women who are, are in their 20s. Interesting. I was asked to to talk at a career day um, at uh, at my daughter's school. She's in matric at the moment, mm-hmm. and uh, I spoke just after the person from UCT. and And my first comment to the kids were, "I shouldn't have been asked to come here because <laughs> I'm going to tell you, you don't need a varsity education." Yeah. Um, and and I kind of said to them, which I think is very true. You know, stop thinking of a career. Stop thinking of a journey. Because, you know, this, this thing of, of a career is something I think that's really out, outdated. And, and yeah. um, there's a few people who, who are lucky enough to say, I'm going to be a doctor or an accountant. And they study that and they become that and they're happy mm. and that's it. But I think the vast number of people either don't know or they start in one area and end up in a completely different space. And when you look mm. at it as a journey, it's really about saying, well, what's the next step, the mm. first step? And then after that, where am I going to go? Mm. The other thing I said, you know, is that 
you know, look around at, at where there is um, either disruption or where, where there are, in essence, um, uh, no, no kind of rules. And when I talk about disruption, you know, if you look at the mm. um, education sector, if you got into the education sector a few years ago, um, it really took off because mm. the government education system isn't working for, for most people. Mm. Same with health, same with the security industry. Mm. You know, wherever there are areas where there's disruption, mm. and if you look at unemployment as an example, in the formal unemployment as in jobs, um, the, the disruption is happening because people in the informal economy are going off and they're starting their own businesses and doing their own thing mm. uh, to make a living. And, and so mm. for me, the disruption was I'm looking at the space where there, there, there are no rules. People don't mm. understand it, which is in essence this informal sector. Mm. Um, they don't, they, there are rules, but those rules are unknown to others. So it's really about where are the, where are there spaces that are not, and the te- the world of tech is is very much that at the moment. You know, mm. there's a lot of disruption, uh, a lot of changes happening, mm. and and so on. Uh, you know, if you if you if you're wanting to build a website, you know, you're wasting your time. But if you start looking at payment systems and social media systems and mm. and and other forms of technology, you know, those are the kind of spaces. Mm. The other thing for me is is you know, um, and and I said the same to these kids. I said. You know, actually look at Africa. Africa is the is 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 um the population is the youngest population on the planet. Mm. It's the fastest urbanizing uh continent um in the world. But I mean we've never seen urbanization as fast as as uh, Africa. Urbanization creates opportunities. Mm. Um and and uh and also being the youngest population in the world, um, you know, again creates massive opportunities. Um, it's the fastest adopter of technology on the planet. I mean, if you look at mobile payments, Mpesa is the largest mobile uh, payments um, system in, in, in East Africa and West Africa. Um, the adoption of smartphones and so is, is like just crazy. WhatsApp mm. is ubiquitous. So, you know, if you go to Japan or America, you want to invest in, in uh, nappies for, for old age people in South Africa, <laughs> you know, in Africa, you're talking this youthful population. Yeah. And, and so I think that there's far more and, 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 and because there's disruption and because, you know, all of these things means that there's such a big opportunities in, in Africa, you know, and, and if you're outside of Africa, then you've got to look at areas where there are no rules and disruption, like Elon Musk and electric mm. cars. Mm. You've got to start mm. finding, you know, going into tried and trusted old things. If you want to be an entrepreneur or business person, you're either going to go and work for a corporate or you have to start looking around at where is mm. the areas um, of, of, of innovation and stuff. Mm. And, and um, I think the rest of the world outside of, of uh, Africa, there's a lot less of these opportunities. Mm. Um, it's already so, been done and the roads are paved and you know they, exactly. they, they they've already walked yeah. this road so maybe before you go in there the, the question is do you or your or, or people who have followed because you've been beating this drum for 20 years have a seat at the boardroom table at our big corporates now are people saying sure this this message is landing and we should be we should be changing the way we operate to meet in these sectors, or is it still falling on deaf ears? 
so I think the message has certainly landed um, across the board. Uh, and and uh, I mean, so yeah, FNB in 2021 made a statement that uh, the scale of the cash economy stuns FNB. And they were talking about examples of wholesalers that turn over 40 million rand a month. Uh, as an example, and these are informal wholesalers, and I made a joke on LinkedIn, I teased them on LinkedIn and said if they'd read my book in 2013, I spoke, about, <laughs> I spoke about wholesalers turning over 350 to 400,000 rand a day in 2013. So, so, so you know, seven, eight years later, wow. they're like, oh, wow, look here. Yeah. And, um, you know, I said if they'd read my book, they wouldn't have been so stunned. And, um, you know, so... so um, then, uh, you know, Pick and Pay uh, made an announcement also last year saying that uh, they were focusing the entire business now on the lower to middle income consumers. And they believe that that sector is going to, the grocery sector in that space, going to grow by about 200 billion rand a year. Um, and they're correct, of course, but, you know, suddenly, and of course, I've done presentations to people like the execs of Pick and Pay five six years ago you know yeah, suddenly in yeah. 2020 they so there's been a, a, a quite a long time but you know um and it's not only me but i mean to a large extent it's been mm. my books my writings my, mm. my, my talks and stuff like that but there's suddenly a lot of people there was recently an article about mr price setting up container stores in uh in kzn um and uh you know so so there's a whole bunch of of people looking at what are the solutions a lot of them getting it wrong but um but they're trying them, yeah so there's this recognition um and 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 this growth suddenly of this um sector mm. and particularly a recognition of the informal um you know uh sectors kind of turnover and and this kind of thing so so you know and that's a good thing because as yeah. people start focusing on that sector you know more opportunities rise do you think there's a role for the middle class in the Kazi revolution? Yeah. So, so, so my thing is that actually, if you look at the, if you look at the townships, there's been a dramatic transformation of that sector. So um, as an example, um, more than 80% of people in that space uh, live in formal dwellings. So informal dwellings make up only 12%. So, so that that's telling you there's been a rapid growth in terms of of incomes and 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 the type of houses people people have gone from building for shelter to 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 going for design you know okay. investing in decor and and beautiful things um yeah. and and um the other thing is that you've seen an incredible reduction of of the size of households you know so 26% of households in South Africa are now single households one-person households, and a uh, 40% or under four people per household. So, so what has in essence happened is that the vast proportion of our population, particularly in townships, has become middle class. And, um, you know, this is despite all the rubbish people talk about massive inequality and stuff like that. You know, there are yeah. poor people, there is a bit of inequality but but it's overstated um, because we, we our measures are often incorrect. I you mean, speak about that. So, you speak about that so often. We're measuring the wrong things yeah. and we're looking at it the wrong way. For all our yeah. audience, if you haven't read GD's books, 
you need to go and look at it, especially if you're responsible for um, a mass market kind of ideas. And especially for you who are off continent, your measurements are wrong. Read the books. So, so we, we're yeah. talking that the middle class is here, it's here to stay and it's yeah. making improvements. So, yeah. So I think the important thing is that, you know, the, and, and the role of that middle class is, is critical. So these are the people, you know, the middle classes shape societies throughout mm. history and throughout the world. And you, you can have the issues you have in Zimbabwe because you don't have a very big middle class in a place like Zimbabwe and South Africa. We have a very large middle class. And, um, you know, in, if you look at the township space, you know, 60 odd plus percent of that population or households are middle class households. Um, and they're investing in their houses, they're investing in cars, they're investing in little businesses. Um, some recent uh, work done by the International Finance Corporation shows that um, it, it, it looks at a number of years in business between formal small business, small and medium businesses, and informal small and medium businesses. And as an example, about 5% of the, um, of the formal businesses have entered the, the business in the last, for instance, year. Yeah. versus 15% of informal businesses. So, so throughout, up until six years of, of being in business, there are three times more informal businesses entering the economy versus formal small and medium businesses. Now, I mean, and this is research from the International Finance Corporation, who's part of the World Bank and so on. Now, now, that means that in essence, there's three times more um, you know, of, of these informal businesses entering the economy. That's the real impact on our economy because mm. even the president mm. says, you know, the future is our small and medium businesses, SMMEs. Um, and, um, and, and where are these businesses coming from? They're coming from these middle classes entering the space mm. and, and uh, starting these businesses. Uh, and and so that is the future. That that future, mm. you know. And I called my book Gasinomic Revolution. Um, that my my last uh, business book um, was because there is a revolution, and the and the next great frontier of Africa is this. Um, you know, and, and I write about about uh, this this new world is a mm. world of 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 um, you know small is the new big, and mm. uh, it's a it's a it's this uh, multitude of small businesses doing really big things. Mm. And that mm. is, is shaping our economy. It's shaping our society. It's, it's, um, you know, and it's unquantified mm. uh, because and it's informal or invisible. Now, now you're not a, a small business. Now, Mina, now we're marketing. You've been around for a long time. What role is technology playing to enable you to be at all of these places, to write these books, to get these stats? How, what is your split between economics and, or technology and contacts and face-to-faces in your day? Yeah. Look, uh, so our business was primarily a face-to-face business. And um, so, so this is what I do. I, I am generally see these things happening in the spaces I operate. So I spend a lot of time in, in townships um, mm. for work, for pleasure, whatever it might be. And in that kind of uh, process, um, we, we see trends emerging. And then, um, you know, one of them for argument's sake is, this, is the growth of backroom rental incomes. There's mm. 20 billion rand a year that is earned by township households for renting out their back rooms. Now, 
um, you know, then I take that figure and I go like, why would that be possible? Are there any figures that can support why would backroom rental be so big? Um, and then you go and look at, for instance, South African General Household Survey, which is an annual survey by mm. Stats South Africa. And in it, it shows that 26% of households are single households. Suddenly, you can make that correlation and say, well, okay, we're a single household. You don't need a big house. You need a back room, kind of small, small flat lit type of, of, of space to live in. So, you know, and, and, and one of the books that really shaped a lot of my thinking is a book called Factfulness. And okay. um, Factfulness by a guy, Hans Rosling, is an extraordinary book. Um, Bill Gates said it was the most important book to read in, a, in 2018. Uh, and and what a, he says is that um, all the information exists. You've got to know where to find it, number one. And number two, you have to know what the information is telling you. And so I use a lot of, of uh, I, I kind of co- combine this qualitative trends analysis with then going to find data that supports it or, or refutes it in, if, if necessary. So, so um, as an example, you know, one of the things that um, that Factfulness talks about is that you don't need, you must not look at the two opposite ends of a, of a data spectrum. So this, so let's look at inequality in South Africa. People say we're the most unequal um, society in the world, mm. and they mm. base that on the fact that the people at the bottom of the data spectrum are incredibly poor, and the people at the top are incredibly rich. So they're taking two extremes of data. Now, what he says, and and which is what I apply, is you can't look at data points on opposite ends. You've got to look (laughs) at the gap and the spread. Yeah. So when you look at spread, do you get the same information? Um, So that's, you know, an an, an example of, of then I would go and look at that and say, okay, for instance, formal housing is a very good indicator of income. If people live in shacks, um, you know, and, and informal dwellings, they're obviously on a low end of the spectrum. So then SA General Household Surveys um, 2019 figures show 80, I think, 4% of households live in formal dwellings. That is a brick house or a block house with yeah. a corrugated yeah. iron and a, and a, and a, um, and a, and or tile roof with electricity and with water. So, so, so that's the saying. Eighty odd percent of our pop, of our households are living in a formal dwelling um, versus twelve um, percent live in informal dwelling, yeah. a shack or something like that. Yeah. Now, it is terrible that twelve percent of our society live in shacks. Yeah. But every time I do a presentation, I ask the audience. The other day, I asked one of the, the CEO of one of the biggest banks in this country, probably the biggest banks in Africa, said. Uh, what percentage of people live in shacks in South Africa? And he said 60%, maybe 45, 50% was his lowest guess. And I said, it's only 12%. Now, the, the problem is, is each time you fly into Cape Town, you fly over shacks. And then your assumption <laughs> is that every township is the same. And, yeah. and, 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 and while it, and, and so, so, so this is the thing in terms of data, going back to your question and technology and stuff is that, the question is, is, a lot of this data is there, but often we, are, we stray along what, you know, media bias. Yeah. Media tells us the story of a granny who lives in a shack with 12 children and is incredibly poor. And we extrapolate that story to, to say it, it represents the majority of the population. That's an anecdotal story. 
That is not data, yes. you know. And, yes. and so what we do is that we're extrapolating these stories. And so a lot of what I do is then just look at the tech, at, at you know, looking at what data is available, what information is available, um, and and then cross cross reference that with with my experience yeah. um, in the yeah. work I'm doing and in that space. And if something I experience is then confirmed by by data, then then of course you know it's it's a very very high likelihood that it is accurate. Um, and 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 I think one of the other incredibly important things is is really anticipating trends, um, understanding. You know, the, there was a saying: once you see a bandwagon, it's too late. You know, and and, um, and so a lot of you know, in terms of business opportunities as well. You know, the question is not to say where are people now, uh, where are what are people doing today, and and yeah. and those kind of things. It's to say, well, what's the trend? Where is the movement moving to? And so that I can build a business that is going to be relevant in a year or two years' time uh, and not only relevant today and out of, of relevance in, in two years' time. Uh, and this includes shifting your business and being able to pivot to adapt to, 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 to what happens. Um, and, and, and I think that's a really key part of it. So, Gigi, this is a really weird question. You sound like a data scientist. So, what is your your two IT hacks that productivity hacks that are are your go tos when, whenever you are behind your computer? Excel. So, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, no, not at all. In fact, um, yeah, no, I'm I'm so useless at uh, at. at uh, kind of numbers and things like that uh, until they come to to understanding the dynamics of the space I operate in. So I do a lot of, as I said, you know, I do a lot of reading and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people doing work in this space. So I, I kind of follow a lot of, of um, as an example, I mean, SA General Household Survey uh, is an amazing tool. It's an annual tool by Stats South Africa. You know, our, our, current, our, our current stats that we have are from 2011. Okay. You know, so so you know how much has changed in wow. that space. Um, yeah. But but 20, but uh, SA General Household Survey is an annual survey, so that that's a very powerful tool. And there's a number of people doing stuff in this in the space. Um, there's quite a lot of GIS type stuff being done. There's a company, for instance, called Africa Scope that does. Uh, you know, geograph geographic mapping and analysis of that mapping. Um, but yeah, I mean, awesome. it's it's a it's a kind of combination of stuff um, in terms of of data and and information. But my 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 world is much more about a qualitative space, you know, um, okay. measuring what is happening rather than the quantitative data in mm. you know um, mm. quantitative research and and that kind of story. Uh, I so, use it really as a as a kind of proof of of my my stuff yes so it's almost a okay i'm going to bounce that idea yeah. is there something there what yeah. role do you this is a big question i don't even know if we've got time for it i'm going to ask it anyway what role do you think needs to be played by government versus citizens in this sector that you're talking around so the starting point is government is incredibly useless at making any difference in or in ma many spaces and particularly in this one. So, you can't <laughs> say that. <laughs> but, oh, but, but, oh, and, and of course, yeah. yeah. 
my my the, the cross I bear is that I spend a lot of time being consulted by government, asking me to do presentations, give them advice for different kind of entities, whether it's like the National Youth Development uh, guys or the IDC or the the Jobs Fund and and so on and so forth. And um, I give them lots of advice and suggestions, and they they really never follow it. So. So that's why I say it's my cross to bear, but I do it for free and I, I carry on doing it because, you know, I'd like to shape policy. Yeah. But to your point, I think the biggest thing is that all governments should really do is is, is enable this through legislation um, or, or municipal bylaws. Um, and, you know, there's some well-publicized well, um, stories of government, for instance, of, of Metro Police chasing a small business off the street. Um, mm. because they don't abide by by some stupid bylaw that was made, you know, a hundred years ago. But you've got to pause there. I mean, a, yeah. as a citizen, um, I, I want to be able to run down the road on the pavement, not in the road. You get these these people, vendors that are selling stuff. I can't run there. Is it just because of my privilege? I don't understand what they're doing. And and how do we get more people like me in four ways to understand just what's going on? And, and why this is important. So, so the crazy thing is that uh, I went to New York, I went to America for the first time in 2019. And um, I drove my wife mad in New York because I kept stopping at each one of these hot dog stands and saying, Amazing. how do you get permission to, yeah. to operate here? Yeah. Now, what is the difference between a hot dog stand in New York, which is seen as a feature of, of New York? Yeah. You've got to walk past and around these guys yeah. and T-shirt sellers and, yeah. and, and. Yeah. You, you literally can't walk on a street in New York without bumping over a, a, a hot dog stand or whatever. Mm. And those guys are legally there. Yeah, I mean, I chat. My dad used to walk and work in Portugal in the street there as a as a, a vendor there. There so. you go, and 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 it's seen as a thing. But the, I mean, the one hot dog stand I was chatting to, he his his fa- gen, it was he it, the hot dog stand been in his family for three generations. Yes. It was a successful business. They had the rights to that piece of pavement. Yeah. It's seen as a tourist attraction, adds to the vibe. But in South Africa, God forbid, you have. Uh, you know, someone selling, um, uh, the, you know, Burevoz rolls uh, on the street of, of Johannesburg, the metro piece, police will kick you off the street now mm. Mm. Uh, and, and, and try and get permission to do, mm. to, you, you know, I'll take you. There was someone on 702 the other day who's got a food truck and wants mm. to, to, she's been waiting a year. She's been going and knocking on, on, on sure. doors now. Now, the thing is, we have to change our mindset about what our country is. If we want to have leafy jacaranda trees and not a, a, not a food truck or a, a hot dog stand in mm. sight, well, it, th- that is not true of any, any modern city in the world, be it mm. Amsterdam or London or New York mm. or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, so, so I think that there's a real role for these things that need to be they need to be, in essence, you know, legislated to, to be um, accepted. Mm. Governments mm. around the world, for instance, are desperately trying to, to restrict and, and manage um, Airbnb because mm. they, they like, you know, how does this thing work? Solar mm. panels in South Africa, you know, the municipality is trying to block people because their laws and their, their, their systems are archaic. Yeah. And the same yeah. applies for the, the trade and the informal economy and so on, mm. is that you know, municipalities in particular have not adapted their, their, their bylaws and, and all of these mm. things to, to, um, 
to to whether it's a it's a caravan on the side of the road selling selling uh, uh, quarters or whatever it might be to to an Airbnb mm. or to an Uber and and so on and so forth. Mm. Now you know, charge them, tax them, tax them, let them, them do That's their business. Fine. But let mm. them do their business, mm. particularly if, if it's true, which is not true, but if it's true that there genuinely is 46% unemployment in South Africa, yeah. um, then why are we stopping people from, from having their own business? Otherwise, yeah. you know, if, if we're stopping them from having their own business, there was a, a sandwich seller outside Standard Bank in Rosebank in 2020, yeah. who the Metro police came and confiscated his stuff. And he was like, I make 20,000 rand a month and I'm supporting my daughter from this business. And the Metro please come and kick me off the street and confiscate my sandwiches. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, does that make any sense in a no. country where we do have an economic issue? And mm. so this is the point I'm saying is that government and municipalities need to adapt their business to enable businesses. Mm. If they them. could just mow the lawn for us here, that would be outstanding. <laughs> yeah. We're coming, we, 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 Gigi, you've got so much, you know, we could carry on for days because you inspire me in, in staying in South Africa and staying positive. But what's the tick to watch in this informal space? What should be we watching? And then just because you inspired me yeah. so much, I had a quarter for lunch yesterday in prepare, preparation for today. It was amazing. Don't tell my wife. It was amazing. <laughs> what's the tech to watch in this space? So, so um, uh, payment systems is going to be big and everyone's trying something but not really getting it right. So that's literally either accept card acceptance, um, mm. uh, non-cash payments, um, and so on. Um, and that's mm. going to be operated off mobile. Um, interestingly, when we look at mobile, a lot of the growth of, of uh, mobile is not going to, it's going to be through uh, Facebook and uh, WhatsApp. Wow. You know, so a lot of the opportunities really about building apps like a WhatsApp app where you can order online, for instance. And I'm, in, I'm invested in a business called Yebo Fresh that does online, you know, you order and, and you get a Eurospaza shop, you order your stock um, on, the, on the WhatsApp platform and it's delivered to you uh, literally the next day. Uh, wherever you are in the township hmm. that kind of online ordering and delivery is going to grow across every single spectrum whether it's to spaza shops to homes um, and, and and so on but it's going to sit on top of facebook and whatsapp wow. kind of platforms versus apps primarily because data is a major cost in south africa okay. still so so people look for data light or data free platforms and whatsapp just is a really great platform you can you can go onto it. You can type in peanut butter, and then it pops up on this on the on the one like for Yebo Fresh. It will say, right, here's the prices on this brand and this brand of peanut butter. You can order it and uh, and send your pin location of where you 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 live or you trade, and um, they get it on the other side and they send it to you to that pin location. So this kind of WhatsApp built platforms, you know, Facebook to where you mm. kind of advertise mm. your stuff and then you have click on the WhatsApp uh, button to to get it then delivered. Those kind of, of platforms are, are going to be very powerful and, and that's certainly the future. And you um, mentioned data free there. So if any big businesses are listening, if you've got your data free SMS platforms, that's a good yeah. play in there um, because yeah. you don't want to punish your customers for using your application. 
data light and data free is absolutely is a, is a really big play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think, you know, and, and it's also about in, in, interfaces. So, you know, kind of linking your Facebook mm-hmm. to your WhatsApp, to your app, uh, to your website um, and, and so on, you know, it's how do you, you 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 integrate those platforms because people are familiar you know um, smartphone penetration is more than a hundred percent um and you you can get a, a, a an android phone now for 299 rand from mtn so it's mm. a really nice phone and uh, it comes preloaded with facebook Lite, um sure. which is a, a form of facebook that's that's low on data facebook Lite and whatsapp and so people are using that and then you know you want to put business opportunities on top of that kind of platform. Sure. Gigi, um, from a um, a Cosinomics perspective, SADIC, I think we've spoken about that in in offline before. What about crossing continents going to uh, South America, Paraguay, Peru, Ecuador, or going north into um, um, Asia and those areas? Can Africa teach them anything? Um. Yeah, look, I think uh, I think that the similarities in in call it semi formal markets, whether it's in Asia or India and and uh, and and Africa, um, the similarities are remarkably um, mm. similar in terms mm. of 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 how people resolve certain pain points that they may have in terms of how they trade, how they live, and and so on. So uh, there's a you know it's very easy to to with with some s- small adaption, uh, um, you know, uh, apply a model in one space in, into another space. Mm-hmm. And um, in Gasinomic Revolution, I wrote about various mm-hmm. businesses in throughout Africa that have just been quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of them is called Hello Pesa. Another one is the Tolerum Group in Nigeria and so on. And these are businesses that have actually done that. They've understood informal markets and then built either businesses across the continent or being able to 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 apply their businesses also in places like India and Bangladesh and so on and so forth so 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 I'm not but I, but I don't think it's a one way it's not about us exporting it I think you see there's a lot of kind of um you know movement in both directions uh but yes there's certainly a lot it's more about rather than exporting or importing there's a lot of applying these these uh case studies these examples these ways of doing business applying them in markets that have very similar dynamics so perhaps teaching the corporate how to do it from from to do it better when they go is somewhere where people should be chatting to these guys who are growing out of this area so yeah. what is uh, Minanawe's goal for 2022? I've got two more questions for you. So that's the first one. Where are you going for this year? Yeah, so I'm, I'm invested in, in a few businesses. This Yebo Fresh, this online one, uh, a traditional herbal muti business that um, oh. is, is, is producing a, a range of premium bottled products, um, a range of sources and, 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 and. Um, yeah. So my kind of thing is really about that's where I'm excited and where I find you know real, real excitement. I'm looking at building a, a, in the process of trying to build a credit platform to to give credit to small businesses wow. uh, to help them grow their businesses and and so on. So 
I, I, you know, so my kind of objective is really driving those businesses. Um, and I said to someone the other day, um, I, I was like, you know, I'm putting a lot of money and time into these businesses and I'll probably never get the money back and I might lose a lot of money. But hell, I'll have such great content for my next book. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the content, man. <laughs> so I'll either be able to say, look, this is how it's done. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. wow. Look, or you're gonna don't look do at, it this way. Exactly. You're <laughs> going to look at your daughter and say, honey, uh, varsity, you're going to have to pay your own way. Yeah, no, no, yeah, we yeah. get that. Way. Exactly. So, so that's really, you know, so I do a lot of consulting, but the area of excitement and where I really am enjoying focusing is on building these businesses uh, from, from startups into, into something bigger. Outstanding. If you had a billboard across the N1 that's headed for Bank City, what would it say? Sure. Um, it would probably t- talk to, to optimism about our country. You know, it would be like, you know, lift your chin, things are better than they appear to be. And Funnily enough, the subtitle of the book, Factfulness, is why the world is getting better and how to mm. find out about this. Mm. And uh, and I believe that so much that, you know, South Africa is actually in a far better place than anyone is giving it credit for. And instead of doomsday scrolling through our our news and media stuff, actually, you know, we should be more positive. So, um, and, and I stole this from a, a, a business colleague of mine, but his mantra, which I then have adopted, is, mm. is about um, passion-fueled optimism. You know, that. And, and, and that would be my billboard, would be about you need more passion-fueled optimism. Uh, and I said the same to these kids. You know, I said, guys, you need to have passion about yeah. something. I don't yeah. care what it is. You need to have a passion. And it could be a sport. It could be a hobby. It could mm. be a job. Uh, you know, my passion is really about the fact that let's just look at this country differently and uh, and we can change it. Oh, thank you, Gigi. Thank you. I needed that on today. And, and I needed that reminder that we live in the, the most beautiful country in the world with the most opportunity. And life yeah. rocks if you let it, you know, if you choose Absolutely. to be positive, it's going to be brilliant. So from my side, Daniel Robus, I want to thank you, Gigi, for giving us time. I want to wish you and your family just peace and joy during this matric year. I know how much stress it is. I've got a grade 11 of my own. I hope that everything goes well. A credit platform, sources, Muti, I can't wait to see it in the spa in Four Ways Gardens. And uh, may our, our paths cross very soon. Thank you for your time and have an amazing day. Thank you. Thank you.